This message was presented at the GYC 2014 conference at the Cross in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. We're a little late started, but starting, but I need to share a few things before we get started. But going yet. I've had the privilege in the last few years of having the Lord bring to me helpers to do things that I wasn't able to do. First was Dr. Doug Plata, who uh, developed a website for me, and you see that website is presented here. It's a balancedfaith.org is the way you... Balancedfaith.org. And... uh, It's been a while since I've seen Dr. Plata, but he's here today, and I'm grateful for it. And uh, with me also is Henry Martinez. Henry has been working with me for the last three years, videoing all of my messages. He has gone with me as far as the border of Canada, not quite into Canada, but up in the northern Washington Uh, from California. He's traveled with me a number of places, including uh, to Europe. And uh, I've been grateful for his help. And you will find at the close of this will be an indication of how you find the messages that he has been putting on YouTube, because I imagine that there are over 200 by this time. But I have one other thing I want to refer to Um, How many of you were at the message this morning for the 11 o'clock service? Most of you were. How many of you realized how important that message was? Did you sense that this was a unique and urgent message? That message by the way, is a message that we need to understand. I wish that he had had another period of time to develop it further. But as I begin my presentation this afternoon, I want to begin where he left off because it was extremely important message. Uh, His... (laughs) Pretty hard to... Pretty hard to talk when. This thing is not, I'm not getting any, any sound. That message was a message that we must understand and respond to in order for us to have any hope of becoming involved in the latter rain. God gave us a message. And it is true that we have allowed counterfeit messages to neutralize our message by directing our attention away from the sanctuary and its literal, I mean, its spiritual dimensions. It is through the sanctuary that we must understand the gospel. And that is what we will be talking about We'll have one more session on this time. We'll be dealing with Romans 5, which is a key passage. 
But unless we understand the gospel in the light of the sanctuary, we don't understand the gospel. The sanctuary was given actually in initial form to our patriarchal fathers, Adam and Seth and all the way down by a simple altar in which the lamb was slain. And later, when Israel became a nation, God gave them a national sanctuary for the whole nation to come together. The patriarchal altar had to do with the families. The different families would come, and it was not necessary for an extensive Better. But when the sanctuary service was given, God placed in the symbolic services the various principles that were essential to salvation. And this was the gospel. And I would like to say now that what happened was really before the 1960s, and he mentioned 1960, I think, this morning, 78, I think, uh, in particular, he mentioned, but when we became involved in our discussion with with the Martin and Barnhouse in 1950s, from 1955 and so forth, we had a great opportunity to present the gospel. The problem is that several years before, Satan began stimulating our intellectual leaders to make some changes. We had already begun those changes. We were eager to be accepted as a Christian church. In order to do that, we had to conform with certain basic fundamental requirements of evangelical thought. Now, it was not the intent of anyone to change our doctrine. The fact is, what they did was to accept a different methodology of approaching the gospel, which changed the gospel. Now, I have a book uh, uh, in the, at the Weimar booth uh, dealing with the issue of questions on doctrines. It's questions on doctrines revisited, which, which book deals with the various issues. And I must say that I was not able, through that period of time, it was this period of time that my youthful development took place uh, in, in my theological development as a result of the various things that were happening and, and the changes of focus. Now, what I want to say is that I demonstrate in my review of that book, Questions on Doctrines, I demonstrate the fact that neither side in the conflict was right. Both were partly right. And neither one was listening to the other if there had been a true priesthood, a believer approach in which we came together on our knees, humbling ourselves with, uh, before one another, God could have led us to a more intense understanding of his plan. And instead, 
we became uh, bogged down in intense conflict in which the Holy Spirit was not able to leave because our attitudes toward one another were not conducive to the Holy Spirit's direction. But I would like to say that before we are able to present the latter rain message, we must first go back to 1888 where our real problem started in the rejection of the Minneapolis message. Now, I have not been able to focus directly on that, but I have been sharing with you in the process of uh, sharing my own experience the principles that are that were presented there and those principles are very simple and it primarily the main focus is that Christ is our righteousness the only righteousness by which we can pass the judgment his righteousness is a perfect righteousness but in order to receive that righteousness we must both be willing to choose that righteousness, which is his character. And we must choose to live our lives according to his character. And in order to receive his righteousness, it must be done honestly. And this requires submission. Submission to God's will, to God's word. And for us to cease it is wonderful, by the way, to try to be understood by our Christian brethren. We need to do that. And our brethren were attempting to do just that. But we must not be so eager that we seek to mimic what they're saying and doing to assure them that we are Christian. In other words, at no point can we compromise God's message and still be able to proclaim it. If we compromise it, then we have a different message. And God is going to lead us back. And what he didn't discuss, he mentioned that many people are outer court, have an outer court theology. And uh, that is where the evangelical world is. Their whole focus is on the cross, and they have no concept and no insights regarding the sanctuary ministry of Christ, which is portrayed in the holy place. Now, the Roman Catholic Church, by the way, as he pointed out this morning, become uh, holy place centered. Now, what does that mean? Basically, it doesn't mean the holy place centered at all, but what it really means is that their focus is on developing a Christian character, but their concept of how to develop the character is through the church and its sacraments. And the concept is that those sacraments bring us merit and they prepare us so that we are able to prepare ourselves for, for the kingdom. The fact is that Adventist message is centered on the most holy place, which is connected. And if these are not all connected, then we don't have the message. Connected to justification, which must be an honest commitment of our sins to Christ and acceptance of his righteousness for our lives. Not a theory, 
but an experience in which we seek to be like Christ and which we claim by faith his responsibility to live out his life within us. That is the holy place. After justification, we must continue on by connection with Christ, and it is Christ's connection with us that takes place of justification that permits us to grow by reading his word and by accepting the altar of incense symbolic of the merits of Christ, not the merits of our own. So the holy place should not be considered uh, as a source of legalism. If it is, it's because we're not seeing that in the light of the continuing justification. Justification is not simply for past sins. Justification is something we have to experience every day because our natures are selfish. And self cannot overcome self. But we can claim Christ's presence through the Holy Spirit and his power to live according to his principles. Now, what is the most holy place? The most holy place represents that process by which the continual, the holy place is called all the way through scripture, the continual. Every day, 24 hours a day, his salvation is available to us. We can claim it any time. But the time is coming when it will no longer be available. And the most holy place is what teaches us how to prepare for the time when Christ will leave his ministerial work in the sanctuary and uh, prepare to come to this earth. Now, brothers and sisters, our message is a whole message, the whole sanctuary message, because we have not retained a clear understanding of it, we cannot have the experience of it. And it is by faith in every step, faith in Christ's uh, death for our sins, faith in his willingness and actuality of giving us his righteousness and claiming that righteousness that he might work that out in our lives, making us both willing and able to do of his good pleasure. Now, with this in mind, I want to present the message that I had planned for you. We were late getting started. Stop, uh, the meeting before was late, and then we had some other delays. But we will uh, proceed with a discussion of Romans. Now, Romans is central to the evangelical view of the gospel. And the chapter 5 is especially central to, to their view. And we're going to begin with verse 18 because it's a mistranslation of verse 18 that the evangelical world today bases their view of the gospel. And we will discuss this uh, as, as a part, in other words, in the context of our message this morning about the sanctuary. Romans 5, verse 18. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men 
to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. Now this verse is a mistranslation and we'll discuss how that, uh, what the mistranslation does. Uh, it does change one's whole focus. Therefore, as by the offensive one, judgment came upon all men. Now, notice those red, those uh, words in red. None of them are in the scripture. They're in King James Version, but they're all added. And then we continue where it says, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. Now, the free gift came is also added. These words are not uh, a part of the, the, uh, the Greek translation. So we're going to be looking at that and seeing what the, what, how that should be translated. And I'm going to uh, read the same verse now uh, with, uh, without some of the words, well, actually with a, with a key preposition that Paul intended for us to understand. Therefore, as by the fence of one ace, Paul does not use any verb verbs in this sentence. Not one in the entire verse. Therefore, as by the offensive one, ace. And uh, I have judgment came upon all men. Actually, uh, that should be ace judgment, ace uh, all men. The ace comes after that. But the, what Paul does is to use prepositions in, in place of verbs here. It's ace, ace, two different sets. Ace, 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 ace. And we'll see how that works. Therefore, as by the offense of one ace, now it doesn't say anything about judgment came, but it says ace. And ace is the preposition that is translated judgment came upon all men. What it says, as, therefore, as by the offense of one ace, all men. The offense moved from one man, Adam, to all other men. It doesn't say how it moved, but it simply says, ace, ace. The offense moves from Adam to all men. And what is the result? Is the condemnation of all men. Now, notice this does not have God imputing Adam's sin to man. See, this translation of the, gen, of the, uh, of the um, evangelical world, world is based upon the doctrine of original sin. And that doctrine of original sin has God imputing the sin of Adam to all of his children. The Bible does not teach that God imputed the sin of Adam to all men. It does show a transfer of Adam's sin to all men. It does not tell us here how it was transferred. However, verse 12, which you'll find beforehand, does tell us. It says, for that all have sinned. 
judgment came upon all men, for all have sinned. And now we've come to the next ace, ace. It says the righteousness of one, ace, all men, under justification of life. Now, the righteousness of Christ comes to all men, and what's its purpose? The, that we might receive the righteousness of Christ. In other words, his righteousness comes to us as our own, that we can receive it. But the fact is that uh, God does not impute the sin of Adam to all men and then impute his own righteousness to all men, but his righteousness does come to all men for the purpose of eternal life. And if we receive it, we have it. And if we have his righteousness, we have eternal life. We have the assurance of being going through the judgment. We never need to worry about preparing for the judgment. If we receive Christ, we have received the defense attorney. <laughs> and we are in him as in him God accepts us as though we were as righteous as he. And so we find that this translation, a King James translation, has been a, a confusion to many. Now it, it continues uh, with verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made sinners. Righteous. Now, this is one, this is the King James Version, and uh, it, uh, it, it, we will read it in, a, in Green's Interlinear in just a moment. The verse 24 says, Moreover, the law entered that offense might abound, but where sin abounded, there grace did much more abound. So, Paul is talking about a problem that has faced all the world and an answer that is given to the whole world so that this answer is a universal answer to all men everywhere at all times. That as sin has reigned, now notice what we're talking about as a kingdom. A reign has to do with a reign, a, a kingdom. A king reigns in a kingdom. Moreover, the law entered that Pardon, uh, pardon me, yes, that offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, that as sin has reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, I would like to say as briefly as I can that sin is a result of separation from God. When Adam and Eve were in Garden of Eden, in their perfection, they were perfect because they were connected with the Father. Christ created mankind to be a, to be a temple for the Holy Spirit. That meant that the Holy Spirit was to direct the individual all the time, day and night. When Eve sinned, she rejected the rule or the reign of Christ through the Holy Spirit. 
And when she did, she separated herself from power. He is our life. He is, was their life. And when, he, when God said that the day you eat of it, you'll surely die, actually, it is not God who kills us, but it is we who separate ourselves from our lifeline. He is our life. And what we're dealing with in Romans is a question of what kingdom are we going to be in. When we're born into this world, we're born into the kingdom of Satan because Adam gave his government into the hands of Satan and thereby separated the human race from God. When Christ came, he came to become a man, just as we are, to reconnect the race of man with God. And when Jesus came, he came to die for our transgressions so that we could be free from all guilt and be free to enter into intimate relationships with Christ. And the gospel really has to do with Christ in us, the hope of glory. And it is the presence of Christ that gives us victory. It's the absence of Christ that makes us powerless. So when we are in connection with him, we're in the connection with our life, our power line. Now, J.P. Green uh, has a translation that I have appreciated. Verse 18 says, So therefore, as through one deviation came to all men to condemnation. Now notice the word came is italicized. J.P. Green's book, Bible that I have, doesn't translate it quite this way, but this is easier to understand. This is the new, this is the new uh, J.P. Green edition. And it does use the word came. That word is not in the uh, original. But it has the meaning of movement, ace. So it is much more meaningful than what was there. It came to all men to what? What was the purpose of sin? What was Satan's purpose in getting Adam to sin? It was to bring him under condemnation. And when, when that separation from God is ours, we are under that condemnation. Have there been anyone but Christ who have not been under condemnation? According to scripture, we've all sinned, come short of the glory of God. And the fact is that the sin, uh, the, the state of sin is a state of separation from God. And it is a separation from God that causes our focus to be upon ourselves rather than upon him. Upon our own exaltation and glory rather than upon his. So this was J.P. Green's translation. And then it goes on and says, So also through the effectual righteousness came to all men to justification of life. 
Now, Christ's righteousness also comes to all men. What is its purpose? It says justification of life. When does justification of life take place? It takes place when we receive Christ's righteousness. And that is justification. It's justification of life. Justification, any true justification, is justification of life because it reconnects us with the living creator who is our life. Now, I wanted to have you notice three verses in a row. The verse, uh, pardon me, this one is not the one I had in mind, but this, uh, this is uh, Green's translation of all uh, of these verses. I'm going to step down a moment because I think we'll come to what I wanted right now. Okay, compare now the King James Version with its added words with Green's Greek translation. King James says, therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. And Green's gives us the actual Greek. It says, so as through one offense, it was, and this was the, this is how my greens, it's an initial edition, it was. Now, in the new one, it says came. And that's a little easier for us to understand the English part. It was toward all men. In other words, it moved toward all men. For what purpose? To bring condemnation. Since all have sinned, it brought condemnation universally. Now, this universe, this is an all, which is a universal all. It means that all men at all times, everywhere. And then it says, even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon. Now, uh, pardon me, I'm sorry, I'm reading from King James. So also by the accomplished righteousness toward all men to justification of life. Now, what I have done is to put in red the words that, that uh, represent ace. This ace, uh, in other words, the literal Greek says, as through one man's, uh, one offense, ace all men. And then to the purpose, ace condemnation. And then it says, so also by one accomplished righteousness, ace, or toward all men, purpose, for the purpose of justifying all men. Well, then why aren't all men justified? The theory of justifi universal justification at the cross is not a part of Paul's thinking. But it is true that Christ is he died to become the savior of all men. He died so that his righteousness could move to every man, woman, and child. And it is God's desire that every man, woman, and child receive the gift of righteousness. However, that requires death to self. There has to be a death 
we have to die to the principles of Satan's kingdom in order to be rise at what baptism is a symbol, rising to a new life under a new government. And we come into the government of Christ so that we today are in his spiritual government. Now, when Christ in the Garden of Eden was communicating with Adam and Eve, he spoke to the serpent. And he says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. It shall bruise your head, you will bruise his heel. So this seed is Christ. And what this Genesis 3.15 means is that I am going to give a period of probation. I have already told Adam and Eve that they will die as a result of sin. But now I'm going to give them a chance to receive the enmity that you have put in their hearts for me. I'm going to give them a chance to choose my government and to love me and to oppose you. And that is God's plan for us to have enmity toward the world, not toward the people of the world, but the world as a government, as a, a, a system of government which is centered on self and pride. God has given us a probationary time which began in Eden. This probation will continue until Christ's ministry in the most holy place is finished. And when the most holy place ministry is finished, at that time, probation will have ended for all men. We'll either be in Christ or in ourselves. In ourselves, we are corrupt, we are sinners, we have no hope. In him, we are righteous, we are living uh, representatives of his family. Now, I want you to notice how verse 18 is enclosed by verses 17 and 19. I told you before that there are no verbs in verse 18, but there are verbs in 17 and 19, which are intended to provide the, uh, the understanding of how to interpret the ace ace in chapter and uh, verse 18. Paul's two literary enclosures that we'll speak of are verses 17 and 19, which are smaller enclosures. Verses 12 to 21 are the overall enclosures. Everything within 12 and 21 must be understood as a unit. But within that unit, there is a small unit, and everything in 18 must represent what is presented in 17 and 19. These are called enclosures. So to understand Romans 5, we must understand Paul's literary enclosures. There are two parallel verses, verses 17 and 19, as I've mentioned, and these control the interpretation of verse 18. 
and determine the meaning of its own parallel structure. So we have three verses, all very parallel, 17, 18, 19. And they are constructed in such a way that they must be seen as a unit. The verbs and tenses of these enclosure verses thus assure the function and tenses of ace. Note the parallel structure in each of the three verses and how the enclosed and the enclosure passages harmonize. Now we're going to deal with Green's interlinear translation. This, I believe, is the new translation. Uh, no, this is the older translation. I have the, the New Testament in my, uh, in fact, I have a couple of copies, one I've worn out and another one that uh, is more recent. For if by the offense of one death reigned, reigned, this is the past, by the one much more reigned by the one, much more those who are receiving, present tense, the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall rule in the life, that's talking about future, by the one, Jesus Christ. So then, as through one offense it was toward all men, see the toward is ace, it was toward or ace all men, ace condemnation. So also by the one accomplished righteousness, ace all men, ace justification of life or toward all men to justification of life. That's how he translates that. For as through the one man's disobedience, the many were constituted sinners, so also by the obedience of the one, the many shall be constituted righteous. Now, why did I put the tenses there? Because this passage clearly, verse 17, 18, and 19 clearly identifies the sin with the past. In other words, with, with the, and, the, and it always identifies righteousness with the future. It does not speak of the past as of 31 AD. It speaks of the future. And this the, it always speaks of the past because all men have sinned. But it, in dealing with righteousness, it always speaks of the future because we choose what government we want to be representing when Christ comes. Whether we want to be in his government or remain in the world's government. All three verses portray the same negative versus future, uh, past negative versus future positive state. And each adds a concept not stated by the others that applies to all. Verse 17 declares who are justified, those who are now receiving the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness, who shall rule, that is future, in the life by the one adds now, uh, verse 19 now adds, by the obedience of the one shall many be constituted 
righteous. This does not declare, and by the way, Paul is writing this many years after the cross. It does not declare that we were justified, but that uh, we will reign. In all three, Adam's sin initiates the death, but none of them suggests past justification at the cross. Indeed, justification of life requires personal receiving of his life. We're, it's a justification of life which we receive by receiving him who is our life. Indeed, the justification of life requires personal receiving of his life. He who has the Son has life. He who has not the Son has not life, according to 1 John 5, 11 to 12. Thus, justification could not have taken place at the cross. It's something that takes place by faith of those who are living and who choose to receive his covering of our sins and his righteousness. We need them both. We need our sins covered by his blood. We need our lives covered by his life. In the first clause of both enclosure verses, the universal all sinned is in the past. Thus, the enclosed clause of verse 18 must be in the past. By contrast, the tense in the second clause of each is future. This requires a future tense in verse 18, not a past tense of what Christ did at the cross. Justification always moves toward all men to or for the purpose of justification of life for all men. But it becomes effective only for those receiving the abundance of grace. For it comes only upon all who believe. Thus not all but the many willing to receive it shall be constituted righteous. And shall rule, they shall be constituted righteous, shall rule in life shall be in Paul's time future to all men who have not yet received his righteousness and they will all enter. When we are, Jesus said, you have to be born again. When we're born of the flesh, we're born into Satan's kingdom. We're born self-centered. We're born as individuals who pride is our natural disposition. Disposition. But when we're born into the kingdom, we're born into self-renouncing love principles. We're born not to die, but to live in Christ and his presence and through his power. So that we actually are born into a new kingdom, the kingdom of grace. But it is not the kingdom, it is the, it's the, uh, Church militant, not the church triumphant. That comes later. That's the shall reign in life, which will come about in the kingdom of glory. Paul's use of ace, ace, then for verbs is a part of a pattern in which all three of those verses, 17, 18, and 19, use the word ace. 
and it depends for its completion, uh, that is verse 18, depends on the other two. In other words, they must be translated in the same way so that they have the same meaning. Verse 19 confirms the verbal ace function of verse 18, even as it repeats the concept but changes all, all Jews and all Gentiles. And by the way, this is what the whole book of Romans is about, all Jews and all Gentiles. In other words, the Gentiles are saved in the same way the Jews are. And so when Paul says all, he's talking about all Jews and all Gentiles. But sometimes they all, if, if we use the word ace, it sometimes speaks of coming to all. But the word upon all, by the way, in, in verse three, uh, chapter 3, which I went through a minute ago without noticing that we were in that. But verse 19 confirms the verbal ace function of verse 18, even as it repeats the concept but changes the all Jews and all Gentiles back to the many of verse 17. Those receiving, who are the many? Those receiving the gift of life by faith. And by the way, it is by faith we are saved. By God's grace through faith, we acquire it through faith. It is ours to take. By grace, God's grace. Through faith, man's receiving of that grace. But until we receive it, it's ours as a gift, but we must take it for it to, to become effective in our lives. Romans 3, here it is. Romans 3, did I? Yes. Romans 3 introduces the twofold all that we're talking about. Part of the time, Paul is talking about all who believe. That's a limited all. And otherwise, he is speaking of all who are born, all who are natural born. And that would be universal. Romans 3 introduces a twofold all theme that climaxes in Romans 5, 12 to 21. The first all, all sinned, of verse 5, 12, is introduced in chapter 3, verse 19 to 21, or 9, 9 to 12. What then? Are we better than they? Are we Jews better than Gentiles? This is his question. No, in no wise, for we have before proved that both Jews and Gentiles, that they are all under sin. And this, by the way, is a J.P. Green uh, interlinear. All here clearly means all Jews as well as all Gentiles. Verse 22 then of chapter 3 introduces us to the limited all which Paul uses in verse 18, 518 that dominates the entire epistle. A righteousness of God through faith. The faith of Jesus Christ toward all, that is, ace all, and ace those who believing. And by the way, uh, and, and no, I'm sorry, and epi, all who are believing. Those who believe 
it comes upon them. In chapter 3, it uses the word epi rather than ace, which is the better preposition for upon. The word ace can be translated upon, but it's not the best translation. Ace definitely means toward rather than upon. For there is no difference whether Jew or Gentile. What is Paul talking about? He's talking about how men are saved, whether there's a difference between Jews and Gentiles, whether the Jew, whether the Gentile must go through the circumcision ceremony and, and become a Jew, or if he is a true Christian because he believes in Christ. This is the issue. Instead of ace, ace and Romans 5.18. Paul here uses ace epi. That's in chapter 3. He uses ace epi. For while God's righteousness comes to all, offering justification, it only comes epi or upon all those believing. Romans 3.22, thus justification cannot refer to past justification at the cross. Why? Because it must come upon us by faith. Note the immediate prior context of verse 18. A continuing present receiving of the gift of righteousness, which is justification, to result in future rule. For the judgment was to one, of one to condemnation, but of the free gift is of many offenses ace justification. For if by the offense of one, death reigned by the one, much more those who are receiving the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall rule in life by the one, Jesus Christ. Instead of past justification at the cross, the ace clause of verse 16, which I haven't mentioned yet, but 16 actually parallels verse 17. So it's 16, 17, 18, and then 19, with the enclosure actually beginning with 16, but I chose to deal more with the immediate verse, verse uh, uh, 17. Instead of the past justification at the cross, the ace clause of verse 16 is clarified in verse 17 as present personal receiving of righteousness and consequent future rule in life. In this present future, uh, present future focus that is reflected in the ace, ace of verse 18, where justification of life relates to the rule of life, Paul is not declaring a corporate legal justification at 31 AD, but a present and future is then affirmed in the parallel verses of 19, verse of 19, where Adam's past sin is placed in contrast to present justification of life with its assurance of rule in life. So then, as through one offense it was, or ace all men, ace condemnation, so also by one accomplished righteousness 
ace all men, ace justification of life. And every time ace is there, it has to do with toward or for the purpose of. For as through one man's disobedience, the many were con constituted sinners, so also by the obedience of the one, the many shall be constituted righteous. Now, I want to pause here a moment and mention that when we receive the righteousness of Christ, we may receive his righteousness by receiving him. And that is real righteousness. That's not uh, just something that, uh, that God declares, but is not actually our experience. When we receive Christ, we have victory. We receive him and we receive his righteousness, which functions in our life through the power of the Holy Spirit so that victory can be and will be ours when we trust him for our victories. By so then and so also, verses 18 and 19 are both identified as the logical sequence of 16 and 17 as they repeat the two twofold statements, portraying justification as receiving now, present, the abundance of grace. Nor is many in verse 19 an idiom for all mankind, for justification of life is qualified as the many, that is the present, who, are who shall be constituted Righteous. They are constituted righteous. When we accept Christ, we are actually accepting his power, presence and power in our lives. It is through his presence and power that we gain victory. And this, by the way, is the most holy place uh, uh, teaching, uh, the sanctuary doctrine. And it looks like I have run past two. All right, I think we will close at this time. Shall we bow our heads? Thank you, Father, for your many blessings. We thank you for your wonderful message of the cross and the sanctuary that provides the basis for understanding the cross. We pray for your special blessing in our lives that we may receive Christ Jesus and experience his righteousness. In the name of Jesus, amen. This message was recorded at the GYC 2014 conference at the cross in Phoenix, Arizona. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.com dot org